Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the NCAST from NContracts. I'm Guy Weissmannel, your host, back with y'all for another great episode this week. So this week we're going to take a dive into the world of fair lending. It's a huge part of the book of business for a bank or a credit union or mortgage lender, and it's an area that's oftentimes not well understood, especially how you navigate it in today's world. It's got a lot of potential to get you in trouble with regulators if you're not managing it correctly, but it's a great way to make sure that your bank and your book of business is balanced and that you're participating in the community in a way that gives you a competitive advantage over other institutions in your marketplace as well. So in today's podcast, our own Kimberly Boatwright from Contracts is going to talk working remotely in the COVID environment and its impact on fair lending, uh, as well as helping us navigate the complex world of HUMDA and PPP loans and lending compliance. And she's going to do that with Elizabeth Orloff. Elizabeth's with Midwest One Bank, and they're based out of the awesome college town of Iowa City, Iowa. If you haven't been, you need to go sometime. It's a ton of fun. And trust me, you're going to be smarter on this issue after you listen to these two experts talk about it. So Kimberly and Elizabeth, over to you guys. I am so glad to be talking with you today on my first ever NCAST, especially since we're focusing on one of both of our favorite compliance topics, fair lending. Will you do me the honor and kind of give us a little bit of background so everyone who's listening can can learn who you are and why you get to join me this, this morning? Absolutely. And Kimberly, thank you for having me. I am part of Midwest One Bank, a $5.2 billion organization chartered out of Iowa City. And we are in five different states, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Florida, and Colorado. And so as you can imagine, uh, that lends to many fair lending challenges. So, so I'm eager to talk about that today. Especially when you, when you think of the, the map in the United States and you jump to Florida from those Midwestern yes, areas, right? right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So when we're thinking about where you're located in the Midwest and, and then again on the East Coast, what changes, if any, did your bank have to make with how and where you guys were doing business during this COVID environment and how you were doing it? You know, really uh, in the early days of the pandemic, certainly our branches were closed. Uh, we went to more traffic through our drive throughs uh, by appointment only, like many of the organizations uh, and banks throughout the country. And we conducted most of our customer contacts uh, by appointment. And we also really enhanced our online banking presence, our mobile banking, our mobile deposit, those kinds of electronic ways of doing business. And we already had a good foundation there. So that really helped um, really catapult us uh, into a really good position uh, to be able to serve our customers. So So when you think about the deposit area or the deposit way of helping your customers, that's kind of different though, if we, we spin it and think about our lending environment, right? So how did you guys have to adjust, do you think, to doing lending in an online environment? And how do you think it's affected your fair lending program? Well, we were already accepting online applications. Uh, and we were also already doing DocuSign for uh, retail lending and mortgage lending. And so from that point of view, we were we already had the same foundation. And so, yeah, I did talk a little bit about uh, the deposit side a little bit, um, but we were already there as far as lending as well. And we um, added some additional ways to also do uh, DocuSign for some non-common uh, situations. 
Uh, and we kept uh, continuing to look at ways to do that in a better way. So when we think about being able, the whole idea of fair lending and being able to service the people, everyone within and around our branches or within our communities, do you know what kind of effect banking or lending in the COVID or pandemic environment had on maybe those, those areas that didn't have access to credit or to application online? Do you know what effect it's had? No, and I think that's one of our key areas that we are really looking into. Because the pandemic is still continuing, that is something that we know it was really hardest hit in some of the areas where jobs in low and moderate income areas uh, were highly hit, and minorities in health and job uh, loss was hit in a much deeper way than in other areas. And so we are closely looking at that, and we will, as this continues, I'll be looking through our data as as best we can to try and serve that those areas. And I think getting people back to work, understanding unemployment and understanding how even the poverty levels changing and all of those different things and demographics will hopefully lend to bringing a, a brighter, a different picture and helping us understand it better. So since you brought up da- data, we all know that Um, We have great burdens placed on our fair lending programs, right? With data collection and and how we're reviewing it. So how difficult do you think it would be to manage your program if you didn't have software to help you analyze data? Or do Uh, you have software? (laughs) Yes, we do. And it would be literally impossible to uh, manage it without that. Given the different states that we are in, the large amount of uh, Humda LAR items that we have. I don't think that it would be possible from a resource standpoint uh, that we could even do that. And I don't think it would be efficient. Uh, we wouldn't get the accuracy that we, we do. It just wouldn't be possible. I, we wouldn't be able to rely on it. We wouldn't be able to be as agile in being able to change up the different parameters that we need to looking at specific and drilling down. And so all of that is very, very important to us to be able to get data to the business lines and to understand our program and to the board and to senior management as quickly as possible. You know, I mean, some of this lags a lot because we don't get fair data as quickly as we'd like. And so some of it lags, but we can get it as quickly as possible when we have software that supports that for us. So in thinking about your peer data, and you said not getting it as quickly as you would like, do, when you do see that, does it help your institution kind of, you, you said move quickly. So when you see what your peers are doing compared to what you guys do, how do you adjust your what your, your lending focus or anything when you see what the peers are doing? You know, I think it just gives us a measure of, you know, are the opportunities there? I mean, we, it just helps us to understand, okay, are we on par? You know, if we feel like our, you know, we have a strong program. Are we, are we doing the things that we need to do? Or are there other things that other banks in our peer group are doing that, that we're missing? And they're getting opportunities that, that we aren't. And um, help, helping us to understand if there are just pockets of areas that just need some help, or if it's a broader across the board, something that needs help. Okay. So I know with peers and data, we always talk humda. I think this year kind of threw a new wrench for us. We knew 1071 was going to come out. 
Then we get the PPP loans. So how are you guys, what are you doing? Do you have the same level of diligence on non-HUMDA reportable loans, whether it's small business or, I don't know, car loans, consumer loans? How do you guys do that? Well, you know, we have looked very closely at our PPP loans. That is something that we took a look at right away, similar to how we looked at how we look at our HUMDA loans as best from more of a where they are geographically, not necessarily who they are as in 1071. But as far as uh, all the other non-HUMDA loans, through acquisition, we acquired a credit card portfolio. And that's one of the things we have not um, measured our entire non-HUMDA data. But that is something that we are working on and, and it's really uh, one of our priorities for this. Either we'll get it done at the end of this year or it'll be um, first quarter next year that we it will be something that we will have completed because it's really something that we need to with our last acquisition. It's something really important. So what would you tell others in your similar scenario when they're trying to manage their fair lending programs and you haven't, like you said, you acquired this portfolio, so it's making you rethink your program. What would be one of the things that you'd offer to somebody else in the same situation? I think just really understanding the market that you're going into, understanding what possibly concerns that were there ahead of time that maybe they dealt with, that previous bank dealt with, and understanding the products that are coming into that you're that you are acquiring and and do you understand the risks that are associated with them? And maybe you don't have that expertise in-house, uh, and maybe you have to go out and gain some understanding of those products. Uh, I think that and then really understanding the demographics and the economic impacts of those uh, new assessment areas, that is probably the biggest thing. Where are the opportunities? Understanding what the REMA is, where, where we consider where we're reasonably expected to market, um, what they were doing, is that going to continue? How do we, how do we integrate marketing into that? So I, mean, I could keep going. <laughs> I know that's a good segue into a question that just popped in my head. So when we think about our fair lending programs, do you think yours helps to control that redlining risk? Because you just brought up the REMA, you you brought up marketing and you know compliance. In marketing, we 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 kind of love to pick at each other, right? So, how yeah. do you think you guys are reacting to help control potential redlining risk? Well, I mean, we're doing a lot of things, and I really believe that it is a layered approach. I mean, it starts first with strong support from your board and senior management uh, that they really believe that you know it's important, and then from there, uh, it's your policies and procedures, your staff training, compliance audit as well as your monitoring, your marketing, and really helping um, marketing to understand if they don't already, where the hotspots are is from Fair Lending, uh, understanding things like imaging, image in marketing and advertising, as well as reporting. And so that's, we do semi-annual reporting to our board and management. We also have a CRA and Fair Lending Advisory Committee uh, that assists our CRA and Fair Banking Officer in uh, moving our program forward and keeping some of that accountability. And it's that particular committee is uh, executives. And so uh, the accountability is very strong in that committee. 
and we continue to see really good things come out of that. So I so believe that, it's a layered, a layered approach. Layered approach. So when you're talking about committees, we have a lot of institutions that we work with here in contracts who haven't evolved to the level of having that fair lending committee. So I'm assuming, and tell me I'm wrong here, that that is probably, I think, one of the foundational elements of your program, having that committee and how, and how do they interact with the whole institution? You know, it, it's fairly new. I mean, it is just a year old. Um, oh. Actually, we're just <laughs> um, we're just reviewing our charter now again because um, it's it's just been a year, uh, and it, we just found that there was a need for that advisory and oversight that was closer to the management of the CRA and fair lending programs, and because CRA and fair lending are so closely knit, it it just made sense. And so they re- really review everything before it goes to the board. They have their kind of their stamp on that. They make their comments and help with accountability. Uh, we have an accountability statement. Uh, there are plans and action plans that have dates that need to be, things need to be done by. And and so they, there's some ex- escalation that's built in. So it's it's been really great, been a great part of the program. So is that committee or your team intimately involved with product development or looking at those areas? You know, because it seems like our fair lending programs sometimes have challenges when it comes to product, right? So is that committee involved in that or is that something that you do? So right now, it's something that is is on my plate. I'm part of the product and pricing team. And so if there is something that is um, related to fair lending, I will bring in our Sierra and fair banking officer. And she's very intimately involved in in that from that aspect. Okay. It probably is something that we could enhance. I would think a lot of our peers think that too. <laughs> it seems like we're all like, can we please see this stuff before it's launched, right? Right. It's always... Sometimes that afterthought for us, for, for the core compliance people to be, oh, well, guess what we just did last week? <laughs> and yeah. we're like, wait, time out. We didn't review yeah. that first. And even the monitoring after the fact, after it's been in place, I think that that's something that's really important too, to make sure that, you know, it's functioning as you intended, that there hasn't been any process or procedure change, even if you did see it up front, that you understand that it is still functioning as you thought. Okay. So thinking about data and, and looking at things after they've happened to understand how, how things grow and evolve in our programs, how are you guys using complaints and fee waivers in your program to kind of as one of those data analysis points? Or do you? Well, we, yeah, we do. Um, complaints per- particularly, that's one thing that is reviewed for each of the semi-annual reports. There is a section in the report that specifically is reviewed and highlights complaint that is related to fair lending in any way or products or anything of that nature. Uh, as far as fee waivers, that would be considered more of an exception and exception processing or exception monitoring is something that we are continuing to enhance. And I think that it's something that is a really high priority for our organization. Um, we don't have it right all the time, uh, but we're getting there. And so we're, we're kind of taking it in pieces by um, business line and okay. making sure that, you know, so, you know, with retail mortgage and commercial and, and getting each of those set 
so that we understand where all these exceptions are coming from and that it gets escalated uh, to the right individuals and everybody sees it and there's transparency in that process. So It does seem kind of like, I don't know what your thoughts are, but kind of the whole co- the fee waiver thing is kind of seems like it's been more uh, prominent with some of the regulators the last year or so. Is, have you guys? Is no, that- we, well, our last exam was in 2018 and we didn't okay. hear anything about it at that time. Um, we're regulated by the FDIC. We didn't hear about it at that time. And, but I do think that, you know, certainly things, uh, you know, change over time. Yeah. Um, we're expecting a, an exam uh, at the end of our, sometime next year, October timeframe, probably a year from now. So. Okay. so given all of the analysis that you're doing as part of your programs daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, what do you use the information that you're learning from all of these different areas to strengthen how you're doing training at your bank? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is one of the keys. Uh, it does, it matters dramatically to what we're doing from training to the board, being able to use specific uh, examples of things that we've learned throughout the program in our training is crucial to really drilling in the why behind what we're doing. And then when we're also speaking to whether that's marketing, mortgage, retail, whoever, whichever business line, or just general uh, training to the broader uh, employee group, uh, it really helps them to be able to relate it to what they're doing every day. And so that's, that is really a key. And it also helps us to enhance our own program. So it kind of sounds like you guys have evolved to that level to where you're, you're not just doing the, the check the box for a lending course and saying, Hey, we did it. And you sounds like you guys really are evolving and moving ahead to, to kind of make sure if I am a loan officer versus an underwriter versus a processor, I know my role in the process. Right. And I think, you know, we certainly have our e-learning courses that everyone gets. That's part of it. But we do do we do take time to spend with each of the business lines to do face to face or or now web <laughs> web meetings um, to do training. And so that's been really successful. And I think it's much more effective. I'm going to switch gears on you for a second, recognize I think everybody for the last week has been talking about our election, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are your thoughts about how how that change in administration is going to affect our fair lending programs in the next, in the coming months and and years? Well, you know, first of all, I feel like it's kind of a wait and see. I know that there's going to be impact, of course. Uh, I hope that it's not as dramatic as my gut might tell me it may be. <laughs> um, but, you know, so there comes with some uncertainty, you know, of course, you know, it's like, what's next? Uh, all I know is that we are prepared for whatever's ahead and that um, we're really ready for the challenge. Uh, you know, I don't want to go back to, you know, being basically, I guess, regulated by enforcement action. And so I hope that we don't go there. Um, I hope it's somewhere different than that. Um, but, you know, so <laughs> I'm uh, cautiously optimistic, maybe is the way to say that. <laughs> and you're like, thanks for asking me that question, Kimberly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> um, I really appreciate your time that you took out of your busy day to help to, to be on my first episode of the NCAST. I 
Um, we're kind of running out of time, so I'm so sorry. I think we could talk about this conversation for another hour if we wanted to. But I want to thank you for your time, and I want to thank all of our listeners, and I really hope that everyone enjoyed our little fair lending conversation this morning. So well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Yeah, thank you so much, Kimberly. I appreciate it, and I enjoyed my time. Okay, everybody, that wraps up another great episode of the NCAST. You like what you heard? We'd love it if you would leave us a review and let us know about it. And if you're not yet subscribed, you can do so on your favorite podcasting platform today. Thanks again for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week.